Welcome to the Infrastructure Podcast. My name is Anthony Oliver and today we're going to talk about the challenge of putting infrastructure at the heart of UK economic recovery. As the dust settles on the Chancellor Jeremy Hunt's latest budget statement in March, many were perhaps slightly disappointed that it didn't make more reference to or perhaps provide more direct support for investment in UK infrastructure, not least after his announcement of a raft of delays uh, to investment plans for a number of key projects including HS2 and the Lower Thames Crossing. Okay, there was commitment to new nuclear and to investment in a new era of carbon capture and storage, but fundamentally questions have been raised over just how committed the current government is to delivering the current £600 billion plus pipeline. In short, in this political climate, does the infrastructure sector have to step up a gear? Well, to answer this question and discuss how we can continue to keep infrastructure at the heart of the UK economic recovery, it's my pleasure to welcome Mary-Claude Hemming, Director of Operations at the Civil Engineering Contractors Association to the Infrastructure Podcast. And she's someone who has spent decades making the case for investment. So, Mary-Claude, welcome to the Infrastructure Podcast today. Thank you very much. It's great to be here. Well, let's start by examining the premise I set out. I mean, SECA represents over 300 member companies who work to deliver, upgrade and maintain the country's infrastructure. In fact, I think your members carry out an estimated 70 to 80 percent of all civil engineering activity. So am I right to worry that government appears less committed to investment, uh, the investment that is effectively their lifeblood? I mean, should we be doing more? Well, yes and no. And I think it's very, very important to be conscious of the climate that we're in. Um, But since 2013, we've seen real commitment from various governments to long term infrastructure investment. And that has had clear recognition of the economic and the social benefits that infrastructure brings. Um, We also recognise that the industry came together with government during the pandemic to continue to deliver efficiently. And now we've been impacted by Brexit, the war in Ukraine and high inflation still continues. But we continue to hold on. And our our latest workload trends survey shows that our sector continues to maintain momentum. Um, But at the same time, the survey shows significant decline in preliminary works, particularly in housing and commercial development that could spell trouble. So I think we need to hold our nerve and work with government to identify pinch points and address them. Okay, now well, clearly the latest government uh, budget underlined you know, you know, there there was some uh, some support for uh, investment infrastructure as a means to grow the economy, but we also saw, as I say, a significant scaling back of program delivery dates. I mean, should we be concerned? Uh, you know, what's Seeker's view on the latest budget announcements and the government's attitude to investment? We can't expect every event to be packed full of infrastructure as much as we'd like oh, it. Oh, I don't know. Although sure, surely we can. <laughs> <laughs> Although it could be overwhelming. Um, and the budget had the specific focus this year. This this year, in essence, it was the cost of living crisis. Um, and, you know, let's not be all doom and gloom. There was commitments to energy, levelling up, devolution, local roads, and proposed, ch- proposed changes to skills shortage occupation list. And we have to be mindful that there wasn't any actual cutting of funding, um, albeit we are living in an inflationary period, which means that we're doing more with less. Um, But we were also disappointed by the scaling back of programmes. And you can argue that this makes sense because it makes the long-term delivery of projects more affordable. But in essence, that's a false narrative in this exactly the same thing happened in 2008 and 9 
and in response to the financial crash. And then those same projects came back three years later and they were more expensive. But not only that, the workforce had gone um, and we're still living with the consequences of that reduced workforce. And then there was a recent article in the FT by Lord O'Neill, who used to be a Treasury Minister, and he said that we should always just stick to the plan. Yes, you can make changes on the way in response to circumstance, but the best thing for everybody is to keep going. Okay, given that this podcast is titled, you know, putting infrastructure at the heart of the UK economic recovery, I mean, you'd suggest then that this is still a realistic ambition? I think it has to be. Um, in 2013, SECA commissioned research from the Economic Research Consultancy, the Centre for Economic and Business Reform, CEBR, and that made the direct link between infrastructure and economic growth. And at the time, it showed that for every one billion of infrastructure, construction increased overall economic activity by 2.842 billion. And we've done similar work on exploring the social benefits of infrastructure investment. We can't stop going forwards because the UK public rightly expects a good standard of living, access to work and for our journeys to be seamless. In a 21st century society, infrastructure is a story of health, wealth and growth. Which, of course, in many ways, is, is it underlines what the National Infrastructure Commission's uh, latest annual progress report um, has been saying, that, you know, the government is making some progress in certain areas, but it urges them to focus on fewer but bigger, better interventions to get the best from infrastructure investment. I mean, were you at SECA, were you pleased with this uh, latest report's conclusions? I think the report actually um, was very useful and highlights a lot of the things that our members have been saying, continue to um, plan for the long term, don't chop and change too much, and continue to recognise the importance of infrastructure to all our lives. In fact, as we um, continue to develop our policies for the next 10 years, it ties in exactly to our narrative. Well, let's talk a bit more about uh, Seeker and your members. As I said earlier, you've got 300 members, companies across all infrastructure sectors, and uh, that's split across, um, I think, eight UK regions. I mean, what does Seeker actually do, Marie-Claude? You know, how do you help your members? We help our members by listening to them and putting them at the heart of our business and, in essence, always making the case for infrastructure. And often that's via representation, talking to government and clients at national level, and also at local and regional levels, to shape the delivery of the environment in which our members operate. In essence, it enables them to operate as efficiently and innovatively as possible. Um, and other times we're working through um, with bodies such as the Construction Leadership Council and CITB to ensure that we continue to have the resources and the frameworks to deliver. And that's the external facing work. But on a daily basis, um, we'll, you'll see us hosting um, engagement opportunities for key clients at national and local levels for our members to attend. And this gives them the opportunity to have honest and frank discussions about up upcoming workloads and direction of travel for, for those key clients. Um, these two-way streets means that they're an opportunity to be challenged and challenge us back. And the sessions work really well and often they generate new work streams, new policy ideas, and they help our members network not only with their peers, but also with clients as well. These are, the, these are these infrastructure future initiatives that you've recently rolled out. SECA runs a number of sector, um, sector-led groups for its members um, across the whole of the sector. So uh, my particular responsibilities is roads, highways maintenance, procurement, legal and commercial. We have other sector-led groups, uh, rail, uh, transport, 
um, procurement as well was one I do. Um, in essence, if a member would like us to look into a particular area or set up a group, uh, we will host one. And of course, that also helps you, I imagine, to reach down the tiers of the comp- the contracting supply chain because you know while there's some there's some big noisy large contractors yeah you know, there's also a large rump of smaller but smaller organizations I mean, how do you reach down to meet them um again as i mentioned we have sector groups we have sector specific groups but in the pandemic i set up an sme group and it's an opportunity for them to engage with clients um and speakers within their own space and have a uh, have a conversation with an SME specific focus so for example in our next meeting I will be talking through the government's consultation on payment practices um, trying to get have a frank conversation with the SMEs about the challenges that they face um, outside of the wider meetings we've had where they may not feel comfortable about talking in a wider setting. But in essence, Seeker represents businesses of all sizes and there is a lot of agreement as to the direction of travel. So I get that at how you talk to the uh, the, 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 the supply chain and the, your members. How does Seeker realistically influence the government's approach to infrastructure investment? Um, that's a really good question. And um, in the last decade, we've seen a clear record of policy influence um, in essence, since the, our organisation decided to have a dedicated pu- public affairs focus. Um, in 2013, as I think I mentioned already, we commissioned a report which specifically looked at the economic case for infrastructure investment. And this report directly fed into the Treasury's National Infrastructure Plan and it set the ball rolling for the long-term infrastructure investment we've seen to date. And we can always do more. <laughs> people, you can't stop, but you can't sit back. Um, people always say, do more, do more, do more. Um, and I know that we're in really challenging circumstances, um, and we have been for the last five years. But I think we can all agree that we have seen improved pipeline visibility, longer term investment cycles, and the recognition that we need good, reliable infrastructure across the UK for our daily lives and to remain, remain a competitor in the global marketplace. Um, Marco, you've been at Seeker for, um, for over 10 years in various roles. Before, you, before that, you were a policy advisor in the Federation of Small Businesses. I mean, public affairs is your passion, clearly. I mean, why is that? What, what is that all about? You know, why are you drawn to this field of, of public affairs? I think like with many careers, you fall into it by accident. And when I was at university back in the dark ages, um, there was little information about public affairs or lobbying careers. And um, whilst at university, I was working in the research team of a political party and a prospective MP who I was helping out to secure his seat um, ahead of the 2001 general election um, took me out on my last week, not only to thank me for the work I'd done, and it was very exciting, went to Flash Bar in Mayfair, and I thought, I'm living the dream. Um, <laughs> but it was, he also had the conversation, which basically went, what are you going to do with your life? Um, and at the time... And you felt, you felt the drawer of construction. Well, I, I never thought I'd end up in construction. Um, and at the time, I had thought about journalism or working for a think tank. Um, I'd worked at the BBC in the political research team, and I really enjoyed the research focus. So what, what, are the most, what are the most important bits or most interesting bits right now on your desk? Well, it's very, there's going to have to be a general election um, by, well, by the end of next year. I think current thinking shows that it's going to be autumn 2024. Um, so the key focus now is to secure the policy asks for the next decade. Now, you'll see a lot of them are 
um, ones that are continued messaging, and that's the right thing. Um, you know, stuff like um, clear clarity of pipeline. The law say taking that down to a local clarity of pipeline visibility for local authority level. One thing we're looking at, um, which I think is gaining traction, is um, devolution going beyond electoral cycles. Um, we've seen great stuff with levelling up agenda, but a lot of it's been um, specific projects announced, and that's fine. It has to start somewhere. But in essence, wouldn't it be great if you could see a direction of travel for 25 years? It's a, in nature of every government to change the way we've done things. But it would also be really good if they recognised that there have been there has been some great work today and built on that rather than raising it down and starting again. Continue reinventing the wheel. Uh, yeah, lot, I imagine lots and lots for you to get stuck in there as you run up towards the next election. And uh, there's going to be such a huge amount of activity going on in trying to um, uh, position uh, the industry uh, as best you can. But I notice also you are a fairness, inclusion and respect ambassador. I mean, what's that all about? You know, why do you take that role on? The FAIR programme is an industry-wide initiative that aims to make workplaces better for everyone. And it provides free training and resources um, to support businesses be more innovative and profitable by addressing cultural challenges. And it also helps to attract and retain people from the full pool of talent. The bottom line here is that it makes business sense to do so, but also provides an environment where people are nudged towards improving their behaviours. I think it's a great initiative and it's about understanding how others feel and being aware and, and being able to speak up. It's really inclusive and I've learned a lot about simply just making small changes to make other people feel comfortable and thrive in their jobs. I mean, I mean on, on the issue of, of people, let's talk a bit more about, um, I, know, I know Sika does an awful lot of work around the whole area of skills. I mean, key announcements in the budget recently were around investment in, in nuclear, investment in, in low carbon energy. Um, but Sika reported fears that lack of skilled workers you know, was potentially holding back UK infrastructure across all those sectors. I mean, what would you say is causing this problem of skills? You know, is it a post-Brexit problem or do the roots go deeper? Uh, the roots go deeper and our, we've struggled for skill shortages for as long as I can remember. And I've been within Seeker, I've been at Seeker for 10 years, um, which is just under a quarter of my life. Um, and in essence, and many, many ministers, I many, many ministers. <laughs> yeah. And I think in my memory, um, the, the economic crash of 2008 and 9 went, and uh, we are seeing this again. And I, I can't believe it's happening, but it, we are where we are. The crash of 2008 and nine, and lots of projects were paused and those companies um, shed their staff in response, uh, many of them who never returned. They went to different sectors. They went to different countries. Um, and then obviously Brexit didn't help. Um, and as I think projects start to be paused again now, we could see more redundancies. Um, but we are where we are. Um and the market continues to offer opportunities. And this time, as opposed to where we were last time, we've learned lessons of keeping the skills we've got within the industry, um, which is why in 2020, in response to the pandemic, the Construction Leadership Council launched the Construction Talent Retention Scheme, which is a free service. It's basically like uh, a board, A, you can find jobs, B, you can post yourself, you can post your skills, you can browse opportunities. Um, and it's aimed at supporting employers as well as those who are unfortunately losing their jobs. So, so where are you on the on the uh, you know, what needs to be done on the, the the to tackle the problem question? Is it about further 
relaxation in immigration rules you know or are you firmly behind longer term investment in training it's all of it and every solution has to have has to be a multi-pronged approach and we of course we welcome the, the immediate attempts to secure the workforce and keeping our industry going but the key thing that drives skills investment and you're right is a long-term pipeline visibility and pipeline certainty um so businesses need to see where the pipeline is going for the next 10 years to enable them to make the changes to invest in that part of their business, invest in those people, invest in those local people, keeping jobs within communities and regions. And at the same time, we need to go down further and we need to bring construction to life for every child and young person via the natural curriculum. Because one of the reasons that civil engineering construction engineering isn't so popular it's because well fundamentally it's still far too dangerous and frankly bad for the health and well-being of workers i mean tig has been campaigning for decades to improve the sector's performance in this area i mean are we getting there are we getting better yeah we are getting better from the dark ages of the 70s and 80s and the journey is continuing to it's, it's continuing it's ongoing it will always be so when we have different technologies different approaches different people but i think we can all agree that we have made substantial progress over the last 20 years i mean you recently backed the hsc's uh, working minds uh, you know work right to keep britain safe campaign uh, which is focuses on well-being in the sector i mean why why is well-being such a growing issue in 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 construction yeah that's an initiative from the health and safety executive um and it's something that even 10 years ago, people used to be ashamed to talk about, um, and especially in what people and often, it's often seen as construction being a tough industry. But we're all becoming aware of the challenges which affect us all. And it's only right that we look out for ourselves and for one another. There was a figure years ago, and it's probably outdated now, but it says one in four people are affected by mental health within their lifetime. So why wouldn't you help? your colleagues um, because a you're helping them and being a good person is the right thing to do but you're also helping them keep their job um, manage their job and manage their stress and of course that is just one way that the industry knows that it's really got to transform itself um, uh, and really uh, improve the way it, it, it delivers uh, and, and the outcomes it gives. I mean, the, the IPA, the Infrastructure and Projects Authority, did publish its Transforming Infrastructure Performance Roadmap um, uh, a, a year or so ago. Um, embracing digital technology is a key part of that transformation um, and it's seen as a key way to help the sector to boost efficiency. Um, I mean, how how are your members being encouraged to invest in that kind of technology and innovation to help drive forward these improvements? I think the current landscape, which is amazing and full of opportunities, is really confusing to the average member and especially those further down the supply chain who are really, really focused on the day job and delivering it and winning their next contract. And that's why we're soon to launch our new member group, Infrastructure Futures. We know that tech is benefiting our industry and it's a key player in delivering integrated transport and offers opportunities across the wider construction sphere. But it's they're still confusing. There's so much and often people don't know where they should focus. And so the new member-led group will focus on the adoption of tech and digital systems within businesses, but also seek to establish the barriers to take up and ascertain which particular tech or innovations are of interest to the, to the wider industry. And also, we did this in 2016 um, and it was inconclusive, but I think we're 
I th- we did it in 2016 and there was interest, but it wasn't the right time to go forward. And I think now the world's moved on and it is. But the part of the work stream is to understand, are we now as an industry really, really med- ready to make the most of the opportunities? And that has to have, that's a conversation we need with government and with clients. Because 2016 was where the uh, the BIM mandate came out, and everyone switched towards 3D design, etc., as a as a as, a, as, a, you know, as something that they had to do for government projects. But do you see any low hanging fruit today? I mean, are the ideas or technologies that you know, maybe your members should be embracing uh, that could start this transformation or to accelerate this transformation of their businesses? I think we need to see more direction from our clients as to what they would like our industry to focus on. I know that we're not supposed to be. Um, picking winners as is a term that people often use, but we do need a little more um, direction in terms of direction of travel. So it's a bit like that man- the mandate for BIM, in other words. It's kind of you know, people people knowing where they've got to go. It's more of a nudge towards rather than a mandate, but a mandate could be. Um, but I feel that we're at the VHS versus Betamax stage, and to a certain extent, we just need more guidance. And at the same time, we need to have the capacity to invest, experiment, and that's something that will always be challenging on our current profit margins. In um, in America, they always say it's fine for businesses to fail. You've learnt um, or part of, a, of something that you invested in to fail. Um, and it's accepted that we learn um, and we move on. And I get that point. But <laughs> applying that to the construction industry um, would not be a popular recommendation. <laughs> well, I'm sure you agree. Um, I mean, this sector is a good and exciting place to work. Um, so how can Seeker help to persuade more of the, the brightest uh, young people to choose careers in the sector? Construction is a really great place to work for everybody. And regard, you don't have to necessarily be an engineer. Um, you, don't know, you can have an arts degree like myself. Um, and unlike with other sectors, it's really easy to understand how you can progress and despite uh, common parlance, the salaries are pretty good as well. And I think it would be great if we as an industry could get into the schools, the primary and the secondary schools, to tell people about what they could grow up to do and inspire them early. Also linking that to the stories of projects within their local areas. Because if you leave your house every day, you know, for example, I live near Tideway. If I had children, it would be such an inspiration because not only are they talking about the project on all the hoardings outside, but there's information on the internet. Um, and it's really important. People would really feel that they're part of something. And then, you know, getting into the school saying what we're doing on this project would be such an inspiration at an early age. And it has to be an early age. Of course, and that, that's all that project is all about, um, uh, bringing the river to life, actually creating that love affair with the river. It's more, more, more than just a, a tunnel project. Um, I mean, being and powerful things there. I mean, what happens next then? What has Seeker got planned over the next 12 months or so to help put infrastructure or maintain infrastructure investments place at the heart of UK economic recovery? I'll finish um, by saying that the general election is right around the corner and Seeker and our industry as a whole once again has the opportunity to shape the next infrastructure decade. We know that all political parties are supportive of infrastructure investment Um but obviously, we are keen. We recognise that we're in a challenging economic climate with spending restrictions and everything has to wash its own face. Ten years ago, we set the ball rolling to making the case for long-term infrastructure investment and we've seen substantial progress to date. But 
we now need to engage with new political leaders and influencers to ensure that long-term infrastructure investment remains at the heart of our policy making. And at the moment, we are talking to our members, we're talking to the wider inf- infrastructure community on what they would like to see. We're socialing our ideas. We're not saying that we have the solution. We're pushing out our solutions. Um, we're having conversations about them. But it's an opportunity for everyone to get involved and shape our future. Marie-Claude, thanks so much for joining me today on the Infrastructure Podcast. It's been great to talk to you. Huge challenges, but um, I'm reassured that uh, you've got most of those issues covered. So thanks for joining me. Thank you. It's been great. Well, many thanks. That's all we've got time for today uh, on the Infrastructure Podcast. But we will have more in the pipeline and more guests to talk to as we continue to probe the big issues faced across the sector. Now, if you haven't done so already, do check out the new Infrastructure Podcast website. That's www.infrastructure-podcast.com, where you will find background information and all the latest podcasts to listen to and to share. So thanks for joining us again. And thanks to Mary claude for joining me today. I look forward to seeing you again very soon.